Well, amen and good morning, church. You can have a seat. Uh, my name is Mark Duncan. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Salem Chapel. If it's your first Sunday here at Salem, we are super excited that you're here. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter number 16. John chapter 16. We've actually been in the book of John. If you've been around uh, this, since last fall, we started in, in the fall going through the entire book, you know, kind of chapter by chapter. And really the series title behind that is simply really the expectation uh, that Jesus calls us to. And, and John, as he wrote the words, penned it multiple times throughout the book. What? That you may believe. It did not say that you may know, that you can sort of intellectually understand who Jesus said he was or the details of the way that he interacted with people when he was on the earth in that earthly ministry, but that you would believe. And isn't that significant that he would say that? Because what is different than knowing and believing? Like I can know a lot of things. I can collect a lot of information and did not have any bearing on, on my life from the moment that I received that information. But when I believe something, that belief is knowledge that is now turned into action, right? Action that I, that I follow in. And so we're going to continue in that vein today. We've just come off of probably one of the most well-known chapters in the book of John, chapter number 15. And if, you, if Salem Chapel is your church home, this past fall, we have rolled out a whole culture basically around that concept of abiding in Jesus Christ. In fact, the word abiding is on the wall there in the coffee room as you come in the building for a reason. For the follower of Jesus Christ or the disciple of Jesus Christ, to know where he wants me to go, I've got to walk with him hand in hand as he leads me there. And that's our definition for abiding with Jesus, staying with him, remaining with him, walking with him as he leads the way. And so we've kind of come off this pinnacle, mountaintop moment for the disciples where Jesus has just dropped the bomb about how they're going to produce all of this amazing fruit and it's going to be amazing and exciting. They're going to see things they'd never seen before, do things they didn't think possible. And then if you read the last part of chapter 15 in your Bible reading plan this week, it kind of takes a different turn, doesn't it? kind of takes a different turn. You know, right after Jesus has just kind of pumped them up, it's like, all right, let me give you a reality check of what that's going to look like. And he tells them, hey, you know what? It's actually, yes, all of this is true, but now you're going to go through probably the most difficult season of your life that you've ever experienced. People are going to hate you. They're going to hate you because guess what? They hate me. And anyone that's associated with me, they're going to direct that too. And so he's just sort of like taking the temperature down a moment uh, to the reality of what it means. Truly, what it's going to look like to follow Jesus is going to be difficult and challenging. So this is what I want to do this morning. I'm going to kind of flip the script on the typical preaching setup, okay? This is, this is usually where I would tell you some kind of pithy story uh, where then you can relate and apply that, and then later it would make perfect sense, right? That's where you've you got to do your opening illustration. I'm going to break the rules, all right, throw that out the window today. And we're going to go to the end. Right, we're going to go to the end of the book and see how the story finishes. Then we're going to come back later and see what God, how we get to that point. Okay, well, does that make sense? Right, let's go to chapter 16, verse number 33. All right. I want you to read it with me, so I'm going to wait. I'm seeing some of you turning. You didn't turn to 16 when I told you earlier, so I'll forgive you. All right, verse number 33. Let me read this over us. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, 
I have overcome the world. Say that last part with me. I have overcome the world. Here's what I want to do. We typically have like a moment to reflect at the end of a service. I'm going to take that moment now, if I can. I just want you to do for a second, just indulge me. I want you to close your eyes right where you are. I'm going to read this verse over you again without the distraction of the coffee and the turning pages. Listen to this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now let me ask you this question while you're still in this moment. When you walked in here today, what were the sorrows or the troubles or the things that were occupying your mind and spirit as you walked in these doors? What are the things? Maybe it's relationship things. Maybe it's loss of opportunity things. Maybe it's someone has, has hurt you and there's pain there and grief. What are the things that you came in the door this morning that are making it hard for you in this moment to receive the promise that Jesus just made to you? That in him, there's peace because he has overcome the world. I want you to name that thing. You don't just say it out loud. I want you to name it. Okay, because I believe, I believe when we are honest with ourselves that the Holy Spirit meets us in that place and applies God's word to that. So I'm gonna pray for you right now that as we try to understand what it means to experience that promise that you're receiving what he's giving this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, we, we love you. We are thankful for Jesus and that by his blood that we just sang about, he has overcome the world. He has changed our stories. We have put faith and trust in him. That is an amazing thing to celebrate. And so God, we wanna be honest and say this morning, oh, we understand that your word is your will and we do desire your will to be done in us, that we are weak people and through the clouds of our own circumstances and hurt and pain and sorrow, it makes us difficult to understand how this promise applies. So God, as we focus on that, meet us where we are, and as we walk into this week in this reality, I pray that you would guard us from, from temptation, from forgetting what you have said, and lead us in the way we should go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I have overcome the world. I don't know what Jesus means by that statement. I think uh, I grew up with a lot of um, questionable theology. I had to process. <laughs> That's not a slam on anyone. Um, there's a great many people that invested, and I appreciate, in me. But when I used to approach that verse, I had a very different takeaway uh, from it than I believe that Jesus intends. It says, I have overcome the world. In my mind, that became an us versus them type of mentality. Right? The world is out there doing worldly stuff, all right? I'm one of God's people here, right? So when Jesus says he has overcome the world, that means he's taken out everybody that I don't like, basically, right? Get them out of here. I'll fly away. Get me out of this terrible world. I just need to be with Jesus, okay? I don't think that that is what Jesus is promising when he says, I have overcome the world. And the reason I don't think that is true is because he says the first part of that verse, 
I'm saying these things to you that in me you may have peace. The reason I think that was bad theology was kind of distorted theology is because Jesus doesn't just care about the spiritual side of me and my inclinations. It's like God is only concerned about my soul. You know why I know that and believe that? Like, why would I need peace? Like, why would I need to experience that in my body? Why did God make me with flesh if he didn't care about this reality? Right, this isn't just like a, a stopover, an unfortunate mistake that we just have to put up with to get to the good stuff later. Like, that's not the promise that Jesus is making when he's saying, I've overcome the world. What he's saying is, I've overcome the effects of the world so that you can experience the peace now. That that becomes your new reality is that you can have peace in this moment, in this life, not just like someday when I'll fly away in the tribulation and the pain the troubles and all that stuff is done, then. He's like, that's not what I came to do. You can have that experience now. So the question you should be asking me in that is like, okay, I believe that Jesus made that promise. Like, so back to reality though, how do I actually experience that? Right? How do I experience the joy and the peace that Jesus promises when I'm overwhelmed with the sorrows of this world? And this is my main thought today, and I'm going to support that with, with four steps that we can take to live in that reality. Jesus is inviting you and me today to trade our deepest sorrows for his peace and joy because he has overcome the world. That is the reason. It's an invitation, just like you've heard that many times. Everything that Jesus does, he invites us to step into. That's part of what it means to abide in him. He doesn't force our hand, but he invites me to experience. Do you want peace? When you were praying earlier and you were focusing on that name or that face or that circumstance that you walked in here with today, let me ask you to be honest. Do you believe that Jesus overcame that as well? Do you believe that what he did was sufficient to cover that as well? If you do, then you have to agree that peace must also be available to you as well. If you step into the invitation. So here's what we're gonna do. We started at the end, and we'll get back to the end. But now we're gonna go back to the beginning. I'm gonna follow the disciples who are people just like we are. And let's see kind of the things going on in their world and see what they were wrapped up in. So uh, chapter number 16, verse number one. Again, just before this, remember, Jesus has just sort of given them the reality check of like, hey, people are gonna hate you, they're gonna try to hurt you, they're gonna try to kill you because you're associating with me. So he continues that same thought. Verse one, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. In other words, I'm saying these things to you now so that when the circumstances of your life are overwhelming to you, you remember what I'm saying and you still continue to follow me because that's the only hope that you have, the only way that you're gonna see any life through that. So he says, I'm saying it to you from the beginning. I'm telling you now to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And isn't that the reality of every single human heart? When when I don't understand who Jesus is, when I don't uh, uh, believe and abide in that reality, my heart is inclined to press against what God is doing. This is just an outpouring of that 
You know, it's, it's maybe not, we're not worried about in this moment people coming in and going after us in this place because we're following Jesus. But it's not a stretch to imagine that, though, is it? And there are people in other parts of this world that that is the reality as they follow Jesus. We have our own way of existing where it's hard to do the things that Jesus calls us to do in our culture that's inclined to go a different direction. That's a reality. So that's what he's saying here. He's like, you are going to experience these things because of who you're associated with. They will do them because they don't know me. Verse four, again, he reminds us, but I've said these things to you that when their hour comes or the things, the troubles, the sorrows, that you may remember that I told them to you. I want you to remember that I said this. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me where are you going but because I've said these things to you, what does it say? Sorrow has filled your heart. So put yourself in the place of disciples just for a moment. You just had a transformative season in your life, literally walking with Jesus wherever he went. You've heard all of his teaching. You've gotten, your, your hopes have, have risen as you've seen him be drawn into the, the eye of the public and people are accepting him and listening. He's doing miraculous things, things that were unexpected, things that you never thought you would see. And then you have Jesus, who you're believing is God, teaching you. He's telling you exactly who he is and how you should respond to it. And then Jesus drops a bomb on them, tells them like, oh, and by the way, I know you're, you're really used to how things work here, but I'm leaving. And then he goes a step further and says, not only am I leaving, but it's going to get really dangerous for you. It's going to be really hard for you. So I don't think it should be surprising to us that it says that their hearts were filled with sorrow. What do we mean by sorrow? I've got a definition for that. This came straight out of our Restore uh, ministry, if you're familiar with that. Deep sadness or despair usually resulting from loss. That's sorrow. Deep sadness or despair resulting usually from loss. It could be a lost relationship. It could be a, a lost opportunity. I think a lost expectation of maybe how life was gonna go for you and then something quickly came in and knocked you off of your feet. You didn't expect it. Have you experienced that before? Have you experienced the deep, deep sorrow a sorrow where you just don't like have a bad afternoon and then tomorrow you're okay. But like it feels, maybe you can relate to this. It feels like you've dug yourself into a hole, which is really interesting. When we are feeling this way, we don't generally run to surround ourselves with people. We generally pull back. And that, that deep sadness, we just dive deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves, kind of like a, a mine in the middle of like a mountain that goes further and further in till we no longer see the way to get out. You ever felt like that before? It's very disorienting. It's very disorienting. You don't know which way is up. A few years ago, I went to uh, the country of Estonia and uh, one of the things we did was like jump in the water at nighttime. And the water there's they have very dark soil, so every lake looks incredibly black and dark. You jump in that at nighttime and go underwater, it's very hard to discern where the top is. It's just like you're surrounded by blackness. 
You kind of have to sit there and hope that you, you know, hold your breath and hope that you float to the top. It's disorienting, and sorrow can be like that as well. It's like no one else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. How can anyone else relate? And so I just sit and I live in that sorrow till it bores a hole deep, deep, deep down inside of me. And then before I know it, the sorrow or the object that caused the sorrow is becoming the obsession of my heart. That's all I can see. So how do we get out of that? How do we move past a moment like that? I want to be sensitive that might be you this morning. You might be here today because someone that cares about you said, hey, come with me. I want you to hear something that, I want you to hear from Jesus, hear what he has to say to you. And you're like, fine, I'll try. I want to be sensitive to that. I also want to be sensitive to say that the particular chapters of sorrow in your life might be different than mine. Most likely are. But at the same point, if Jesus' promise is true, that I can have peace in face of tribulation because he's overcome the world, then it has to be true for you as it is for me. So here's the first response to that. How can I experience that peace and joy? You have to start by accepting the truth about the reasons that I experience sorrow. I start by accepting the truth about the reasons that I experience sorrow to begin with. Another way to say that is I'm realigning myself to what is true so that I can realign my response as a disciple of Jesus. All right, here's where I pause to give you the pithy uh, illustration I mentioned earlier. I didn't say I wasn't gonna do one, I just said I was pushing it back. Uh, a few months ago, I had the privilege of, of moving, and uh, one of the things that was new about this new place we were at is that it's right across the street from railroad tracks. And I was like, wow, that's really novel, right? Well, country living, there's some railroad tracks over there, it's really cool, yeah, everyone likes the train. Uh, my, my kids were excited about a train. Um, no joke, first night in the new place, first night, getting rest, Trying to get settled, you're sort of like, you know, those first few nights, you're like analyzing every sound in your house, you know, what was that? I didn't have to analyze what came after 1.30 in the morning. I should say also, I don't know how many cars you're allowed to pull on one engine, but I'm pretty sure that the three trains that came by after 1.30 in the morning were the longest, heaviest trains I've ever seen in my life. I felt every car go by as it went by. I, I was basically vibrating for like two hours as they go by. We woke up the next, well, I used the word wake up loosely because I'm not sure we were actually asleep. When we got out of bed in the morning, I looked at my wife and I said, did we just make a terrible mistake, <laughs> you know, moving across from train tracks? But you know what's crazy? Like four days later, maybe three days later, I no longer heard the trains anymore at nighttime. It was the craziest thing. I didn't put like earplugs in. I didn't like put on a white noise machine. I didn't do anything to mediate the noise. I just went to bed just like I normally did. And I didn't hear it. I had to wake up and like I checked the, uh, the, the doorbell cameras. Like did any trains go by? I didn't hear anything. And there was, sure enough, there were two. It's like what happened in that moment? Why did things change a few days later from what they had been? Somewhere subconsciously in my mind, 
Even though hearing a train whistle at like 1.30 in the morning is super disruptive and really creepy. It's a very weird sound, right? It's basically like, you're going to die if you step in front of me. Nobody wants to hear that while they're trying to be safe and warm in their bed, right? After all of that disruption, I got used to it because in my mind, I realized the train was not going to cause me any harm. It was a natural product, a natural byproduct of living across the street from train tracks. Trains are going to go by, and somehow my mind and my ears have filtered it out, and I don't even hear it anymore. It's crazy, right? That's what we do, I think, sometimes uh, when it comes to sorrow. It's like, we don't like that. My mind and my body responded to the things that were happening and filtered it out, but somehow in the mix there, when it comes to my situation, I get so caught up in the sorrow of my situation I miss on the reality that Jesus has already told me the truth about why I'm experiencing it. And that it shouldn't come as a shock to me. It's a reality. What does he say there in verse number four? He says, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. I've said these things, excuse me, verse four, that when their hour comes, I've said them so that you may remember that it was that I told you. Jesus is like, I don't want you to be confused at all about why you're experiencing this sorrow. That is a byproduct of living in a world where people like me and people like you give in to our natural desires and go against what God wants for us and we create destruction for one another. It's both a personal reflection of that in my own life. I've brought that upon myself, but also in community. We do that to one another. I'm not saying that every piece of sorrow that, that's personal to your story came directly out of a sin that you committed. Because here's the thing, we're all doing it all the time. We're creating it all the time. We're creating sorrow for one another in taking, like, we, in doing what is best for us first, right? Doing the, the antithesis of what we talked about last week to loving, our, you know, loving neighbor. We do that. Something important that you need to grab onto and I need to grab onto that is true is that we were never meant to experience that. That was not God's design for people. But yet we, we chose to participate in that. And that's why God in his love sent Jesus to overcome that. So when he's saying, I'm telling you these things, that you remember them when they come. What he's trying to say is like, hey, this is going to be a reality of the experience of life in that you're, you're gonna be touched by sorrow because you are in this world. Some of that sorrow will be specific to the fact that you are aligning yourself with me. That's going to get you attention that can cause greater sorrow in that reality. We also experience some of that sorrow because now Jesus' enemies have become our enemies. It's James 3 that tells us that there's really three enemies that we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've already talked a little bit about the world. That's that community effort where sin has caused brokenness. But the flesh, that's me. That's the fact that I live in this, this body with all of the, the temptation that goes along with that to turn away from the Lord. But don't discount the devil as well. I don't, do not think that we give him much attention in that, in that list. And to be quite honest, I think that is really his strategy in our culture is to remain unseen. So that we're not talking about him. So that we're not praying that God would deliver us from evil. 
that he would keep us from the enemy's attacks. And our faith is weak because we're not praying that way. We don't believe that he is doing anything, but he is. Another reality of sorrow that I think you and I need to come to grips with is that the, the chapters maybe of sorrow in your life are unique. And again, I'm not trying to minimize what has been done to you, what you carry with you today. You may have walked in this, this door today carrying a great burden because of something someone else did to you. And that's really like, that's even more, that's even more of a tragedy. Many times people that are, are harmed by other people carry more shame and guilt as a burden than even the act that was put upon them by the other person. You need to recognize that while your situation, your story is unique to you, it's not unique as far as, far as it comes to people. Every person in this room in some way has been touched by sorrow. And every one of us, if we're going to experience the peace that Jesus offers because he's overcome, needs to come to grips with the truth. Do I understand where this sorrow is coming from? I need to change my thinking to the way that God thinks about it. Just like I had to uh, get used to, if you will, the fact that there was a train going across, my, my, uh, across from my house. I understood the truth of the situation. And even though it still goes past, it does not affect me. Why? Because I understood it can't hurt me. See, I can't get to that place without something to drive me to what is true. I'm not going to come up with that on my own. That's why I've got to go to what Jesus has said is true. So that I'm no longer surprised, and so I know how to respond. I'm glad that he gave us this book right here. So I do not have to guess how I should respond. Or guess what is true. He's already said it. The question is, am I going to respond to it and believe it? But this is the second the second. Reality is I begin to experience the peace and joy. The second thing that's offered to me is to receive comfort from the presence of the Holy Spirit while I'm in the pain of my sorrow. Now, word of that on purpose to receive comfort is it's not like the Holy Spirit is somehow like unable to get it done some of the time. I, a, a lot of the time, I'm just unwilling to receive it. Like I mentioned earlier, when I'm in that dark place of the soul, in my heart of sorrow from things that were done to me or things that I have witnessed, and there's plenty of sorrow even just to witness on display in a given week, right? I can get, I can get to a place where I'm no longer able to want to be comforted. You ever seen like a wounded animal? Has like their leg hurt? and they, they need to be, have medicine applied and have it bandaged, but the animal won't let you touch it, right? They snap at you. And we can do the same thing. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort, to help, if we receive it. So let's continue reading verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus said, can you imagine, put yourself in the disciples' place there again. When Jesus said to them, it's to your advantage that I leave. Ever think that they thought that could be a possibility? 
That could possibly be an advantageous thing for Jesus not to be there with them. But the reason that he said that is because in the flesh, as Jesus was in that moment, he willingly chosen to put himself in flesh to be among his people. But he was flesh. He was flesh. There's only so many places he could literally be, right? At a given time, he physically made himself in flesh. He had to go to certain places to be with certain people. There was no way that a promise as big as what he said, that he could give peace, that he has overcome the world, and that could apply to every single person. That could never happen if Jesus was still in the flesh because he would be limited in where he was going. He chose himself to do that. That's why he said, it's to your advantage that I leave and the Holy Spirit will come. Because the Holy Spirit is my presence in all places with all people at the same time. And he calls him the helper. He sees the whole of my intellect. He sees the whole of the chapters of sorrow in my story. He knows all of the particular details. Details that nobody else knows. And yet he promises his presence with me. Why is it so comforting to have that reality? Why don't I take advantage of it? What does it say that he will do? This is in verse number eight. It says what? He'll convict the world. You should read that with emphasis. He will convict the world. You know, a big part of, of the chapters in my story that I held on to for too long and did not experience the peace was that I felt wrong had been done to me. That might be you today. And I wanted to see justice done. I wanted to make the sin be addressed. I wanted to do that. And I'm gonna tell you, that was actually more crushing to me than if I had just given it to the Holy Spirit, let him do the job. I'm walking around trying to, be, to do his job for them. Obviously, that didn't work. He's like, the reason that the Holy Spirit is a help to you is that it's not for you to carry that burden around. The things that were done to you, he's the one that's gonna go into convictive sin. That's what he does. That's not your responsibility. It says concerning sin. What does, he, what does he mean by that? He desires to see justice come, but he also desires people to come to repentance. Just like he did in your heart. Just like he did in mine. You know one of the hardest things to do that I can, that I can say, one of the hardest things for me to do is to pray that God would redeem my enemies. Ever prayed like that before? I like to jump to the book of Psalms and pray those imprecatory prayers sometimes too. It's like, God, take them out, you know? That sounds like a good idea. You don't know what they, you know what they did to me. You, you, know what, you know what should happen. But the Holy Spirit is actually, he's still redeeming people here and now. Me, and, me first and foremost. That's what he's doing. And he's working in that, maybe even working in me, that God would use the chapters of sorrow, the chapters maybe even where someone has hurt me as an opportunity to give them opportunity to repent. That they may know the love of Jesus Christ. It also says concerning righteousness. What does he mean by that? It means the Holy Spirit is with me. Just like we said before, sometimes in that pit of sorrow, it's disorienting and I don't know which way is up and I don't know what is truth. The Holy Spirit is there reminding me of the truth that Jesus has said. And I wanna tell you, I'm so thankful that understanding the truth of what Jesus said is not only relegated to the moment or the mornings where I remember to do my quiet time before I go to work. Praise the Lord for that, right? But he does take what I have, what I have heard and he brings it to mind. 
and it gives me a framework to know how I should respond. The Holy Spirit does that. That's part of his promise. But he says concerning judgment as well. That means the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will take care of the things that have been done. That's up to him to take care of that. In his way. In his way that is holy and fair and, and, and aligns with God's character. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's not for me to figure out. So he's shepherding me in the middle of my pain, reminding me of what is true, defending me, and staying with me in it. And you need to understand something about that too. The Holy Spirit is not unfeeling to your emotions. We talked about that at the end. Sometimes that peace, the idea of peace, I can simultaneously, I believe, be at peace and confidence in what Jesus has said and also not necessarily feel happy all the time, right? And the Holy Spirit is right there, though, in the middle of that soup of, of what often is emotions, a combination of moments where I'm sad and moments where maybe I'm angry at what had been done to me and moments where I just need someone to be close for me. The full presence of God is with him in that when he is with me and I can have that comfort. That is what the Holy Spirit is if I'll receive what he is giving. So again, I start by aligning myself with the truth of where sorrow comes from. And I understand that that's part of my story and that's part of our story as people as broken people in a broken world. But also recognize that God doesn't leave me on my own to sort it out. Jesus didn't leave the disciples on their own to sort it out. He gave them the Holy Spirit, the helper. And he's mine as well if I receive that. But this is the third thing. The third, the third way that I begin to experience that peace that is promised to me is I take the burden of my sorrows to the Father and exchange them for joy. I take my burdens, my burdens of sorrow, to the Father and exchange them for joy. Go to verse number 20. I'm skipping ahead a few verses here. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. That's a reality. And the world will rejoice while that's going on. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow, underline this, will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. And then he gives this beautiful illustration. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And underline this too, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, if I'm reading that correctly, what Jesus is inviting me to do is to come to the Father, which is an amazing reality. Can we just reflect on that for a moment? See, up to that point, the disciples didn't really get that reality that was going to be there every day. You know, as Jesus dies on the cross and raised again, what was the point of that? To connect people to God the Father. Jesus is literally delighted 
that they are going to know the Father and they're going to be able to commune with him. It's like, hey, you can talk to him about this. You can take your burdens to him. You can take your sorrows to him, and he's going to hear that. He wants you to exchange that. He wants to give you something in return, joy, joy that no one can take from you. It's an exchange. It's like a really bad exchange from God's perspective, though, right? You know, in college, I worked at Office Depot, which was an interesting experience on a number of levels, good interactions with people. Um, one of the things I did there was, was work with the technology. And so one day, this guy came into the store, and he brought a computer that was like seven years old. And he brought it into the store, and he laid it on the customer service counter and declared that he would like to make an exchange. And so uh, they call me over there. So that was my department. I come up there. I ask him what's going on. He's like, yes, I'd like to exchange my computer. And I'm like, sir, what uh, decade did you buy this computer in? <laughs> I've never seen anything this large before. Like, where did it come from? He's like, I bought this computer from this store. And the guy told me, I always like when sentences start that way. The guy told me that if I ever had a problem, I could bring it back. And I'm like, I love that guy so much so much and so he's like very heated about this computer and I'm like sir like I can't possibly receive your you know seven eight year old computer here like what am I supposed to do with that I can't give you something so he's like I want to speak to the manager um, so manager comes out and much to my surprise manager walks up sees the guy waves and says what does he need and I was like well he would like to exchange this like ancient computer. And he's like, huh, all right, give him one of the new ones. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, what are you serious? He's like, yeah, just, just swap it out. He's like, we'll figure out how to put it in the system, give him another one. And I'm like, that computer is like seven years old, man. Like that's, how do I even like swap that out? Like what's the value on something like that? He's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, I know that guy. I like him, he does a lot of business with me. And so I'm gonna take care of him. I was just like, what? <laughs> it seemed like a really bad trade you know, to take that thing in. Similar to that too, like Jesus is encouraging me to take my sorrows, my sorrows, and to take them to his father. He told the disciples, you haven't yet asked anything of the father in my name. You've just come to me about it, which is, is great, but like, here's the thing that you don't understand, guys. You can go to the Father and bring all those things before him. Here's the reality that he, he already knows what my deepest sorrows are. But like a good father, he wants me to come and tell him about it. You know, just like you ask your kid at the end of school, how does school go today? You want to know what they're processing, what they're chewing on. The same thing for him. Jesus is like, I love talking with you, and I'm here, and I will listen, but you could talk to the Father. You have access to talk to him, to bring your sorrows before him, to exchange sorrow for this promise of joy. Not joy like happy giggliness all the time, but kind of like it was defined last week, like a confidence, a supernatural confidence. That's what joy looks like. He's like, I want to take what the enemy meant for evil, what other people meant for evil, the darkest day of your life, 
That day that you reflect back on all too often, the person did this to me and it fundamentally altered the course of my life. I want to take that day and exchange what you felt that you were lost in that and give you something better that cannot be taken away from you. That's what the Father offers. James 1, 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What we need to believe and receive is that God loved us far before we ever loved him. He was already loving us. He was already wanting to give us good things. That's why he sent Jesus. So that our joy might be even more complete as we understand who he is and as we respond to him. He already wanted that for us. He has not changed, just like we read, he has not changed at all in his position towards you because you find yourself today in one of those dark days. It's because the circumstances of your life at the moment feel very overwhelming. He has not changed how he feels about you. And he has not put limitations on the joy that he wants to give to you. But it requires something. Just like Jesus says, go to the Father in my name. Talk to him about it. Through all of the tears, through all of the weeping, through all of the lamenting, he knows all of the particulars of that. He knows why this situation hits you the way that it did. He knows that what happened before has made you more fearful or has changed you in a certain way. He knows all of those things and, and the frustrations that you have with that. He knows about the injustice, but he wants you to ask him to give you joy. And the Father's promise is that when he gives something, it's good and ain't nobody gonna be able to take it away. First Peter 5, 7 reminds us of that too when it says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Why? Because he cares for you. He cares about your story. He cares about your sorrow. Don't get into the game of like trying to compare, well, really my stuff's not as significant as this person over here. That's not a great place to be. I have a sister that's a missionary in Poland and Right now, she has uh, over 125 refugees staying at, at the campus there with her. And, and she's been able to see brokenness on a scale that I've never witnessed before in people. As families that have come through, many of them don't even have all the family members because you know dads and sons are left behind. They don't have any of their possessions to their name. They don't really have a, a plan or a place to go. They're just there. And we were talking this week, and she's like, it's so hard for me to know how to comfort them in that. I was like, you know one of the most like holy things we can do as, as followers of Jesus is to weep with those who weep in that. This isn't how things are supposed to be. I don't have to have experienced the depths of the same sorrow that you have experienced to know that God's promised me that if I cast my anxieties upon him, he's going to return that with joy. I can claim that promise as well. That's where I can begin to see some of the peace that Jesus is talking about. As when I'm confronted with the reality in my face, I go to what is true, I go to God's word, what has he said about it? This is expected. This is, this is, part of, this is how things work in this world. It's broken. 
I seek my comfort in the Holy Spirit because he is with me and he is taking care of the injustices. He's convicting of sin and I take my sorrows to the Father prayerfully, expectantly, expecting that he's going to respond and give me joy that no one can take away. But this is the last thing this morning as we wrap up. I need to live in the confidence that where I fail to believe, Jesus doesn't fail to deliver. Where I fail to believe that promise, Jesus doesn't fail to deliver on it. Again, back at the end of the chapter there, verse number 29, we'll stop. There's disciples said, ah, at last you're speaking plainly, not using figurative speech. You're like, but Jesus, like, thank you for just like saying it straight up. A lot of times you speak in parables, it's really confusing to us. Thank you for, for not using figurative speech. Now we know, you know all things, and you do not need anyone to question you. That's why we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them, and I hear him read it this way. Do you now believe? Do you? Behold, the hour is coming, and it will come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and leave me alone. But I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have a tribulation, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world. The confidence is, just like the disciples, they thought that they got it, right? They'd heard all the teaching. I think I figured out all of Jesus' riddles. I think I got that other parable. I think I understand what he meant there. Jesus, we finally get it. Yes, you're going to God, and it's going to be hard. We get it. And Jesus is like, I love you guys so much, but you really don't get it yet. You don't get it because when, it, when the first situation comes where things are threatened, guess what's going to happen? Whew. You guys are going to run. He's like, and in that day, you need to know something. Even though you leave me, even though you forget in the moment of what I've said, even though that, that promise of peace seems distant for you, I have not left the Father's side. I'm still on the throne. And all of my promises are still true. See, being a disciple of Jesus means that not only do I understand that Jesus is leading me in the direction that he wants to go, but I understand something very significant. You know what that is? Grace. Grace. Undeserved favor from God. Ridiculous patience. That in the moment when I'm overwhelmed by my sorrows and I've, I've neglected to believe this promise that Jesus is still there, still standing over me, he has still overcome and he still has the final word. You know, just like that train I mentioned earlier, I know what the train is and I know what it's doing so it doesn't surprise me anymore. Sorrow isn't fun, right? We, can argue. we don't like that. We don't like that that's a reality. But we're not surprised by it because we believe what God has said is true. We're going to the Holy Spirit and seeking comfort as he is making me and shaping me and working on my behalf. And we take our cares to the Father so that he can exchange my sorrows for joy. And then I live with the confidence that I'm taking that, that promise, a daily promise, day by day believing today Today, I'm gonna to take you at your word, Jesus, that there is peace for me in what feels like a very tumultuous time in my life. And even on the days where I don't have the faith to muster up, 
that he is faithful and that he keeps his word. I have to close your eyes as we close this first second. I'm going to read this verse over you and then we're done. This is also from John, but it's in 1 John. A little bit later, and he wrote this. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Did you hear that? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Did you hear the extension of that promise in there? Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Now he is saying, if your faith is in me, if you're walking with me day by day, hand in hand as I lead the way, as you're choosing to believe the promise that I have overcome the sorrow that's in your life, and the Holy Spirit is addressing that, and the Father is moved with compassion towards you because of that, that you can have peace, then you will understand what it's like to overcome as well. As you pray with me this morning, God, we, again, we, we recognize that we are weak. We recognize that because of sin at work in us, at work in our world, it brings great sorrow. I pray that when we experience that, it is not shocking. It's not shocking to us. God, be close to us, though. Your spirit, be close to us to remind us of what is true, to remind us of who we are, that we are valued and loved. God, help us to see the advantage that we have in taking our burdens to the Father and letting him meet us there, trading our sorrows for joy. And God, as we try to follow, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus and that he has overcome. And it's in his name we pray today. Amen.